are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked on Diamondbacks podcast, a part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day listening to who? The always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas, I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, MillerThomas24, myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles, to my photos, and my graphic design. For today's show, we got a jam-packed pod, as always, discussing Sunday night's game, Saturday night's game, and then I'm telling you how the MLB trade deadline shaked up the NL West. Should we look at the contenders differently in the NL West after the trade deadline? So a whole bunch to talk to you guys about today. But first, join walking baseball encyclopedia, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call him Sully. Every day on Lockdown MLB for a unique look at the majors both present and past. Featuring exciting guest interviews and routine check-ins from the Locked on MLB Network's team of local experts. Subscribe to Locked on MLB today on the Odyssey app wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let's jump right into the podcast where I'm discussing this weekend's slate of games. Welcome, welcome, Spotify Green Room. Welcome, welcome. Miller Thomas here, back with another weekly weekly episode of Spotify Green Room, Locked on Diamondbacks podcast, of course. And I want to discuss this weekend's D-back series against the LA Dodgers, talk about Sunday's game, Saturday's game, and then we're going to discuss a little bit about the MLB trade deadline, how it affects the NL West Are there any new contenders? Not new contenders, but do I look at the contenders in the NL West differently? The order of them, the ranking of them after this MLB trade deadline. So we got a lot to talk about. I want to first start with Sunday's game, though, because it is the game that most happened recently. And this was a pretty disgusting game by the D-backs today. I mean, uh, just looking at the box score, that's pretty much all you need to know is just look at the box score from this game because it was a tale of two teams when it comes to pitching. It was basically like one team had pitchers from Earth and one team had pitchers from another planet because the D-backs pitchers were playing, uh, I guess, a sport, but I don't know if it was baseball with the way they were pitching on the mound today. Caleb Smith started the game for the D-backs today, but you wouldn't know that because he was pretty much out there as long as any other pitcher today. Yes, he threw the most pitches, 70 pitches today of any pitcher, but he only went one and two-thirds innings pitch, and he was just absolutely awful. In just the one and two-thirds, he had five walks, five earned runs, three hits, Three strikeouts. I mean, he did a lot in his less than two innings on the mound today. This was Caleb Smith's uh, fourth start. I believe four of his last five starts by Caleb Smith. He has given up at least five earned runs. So Caleb Smith has been struggling mightily in recent uh, pitching weeks with the D-backs. I mean, maybe they should have sold high at, should have sold high on Caleb Smith when I was making those podcasts. Is Caleb Smith the best pitcher on the D-back staff right now? Because there was a certain point of the season where 
that was the real question. Caleb Smith was pitching like a guy who was the best pitcher on, you know, in this rotation in the bullpen. I mean, after that first start by the Padres uh, to start the season, uh, he was pretty good since then. The D-backs moved him to the bullpen. He was only the second lefty in the pin at the time. And then he was balling out because after the first start of the season, he went three innings, three earned runs in that first start, if you remember. He had a nine-year rate after that. Or after that first start, of course. And then after that first start, he was able to get his ERA all the way down to 2.3 on April 29th. It was absolutely balling. And then it fluctuated from there, went up and down a little bit. But from basically April 29th, the next highest it got for a while was 3.08 on June 29th. So for basically a two-month stretch, he was sitting between 2.3 and 3 flat rose to a 345 on July 4th and really ever since July he hasn't been good because on that July 4th day his ERA went from 308 to 345 he's up because he gave up five earned runs on that July 4th day then on July 10th he only able he was only able to pitch one inning because he got shelled so bad by the Dodgers once again I guess the Dodgers are his mortal enemy give up nine earned runs on July 10th July 19th they had a very good game but it was against the Pittsburgh Pirates the second worst team in baseball so he gave he only gave up two earned runs six and two-thirds that day so if you're recapping July 4th 4th of July six innings five earned runs ERA 345 after that day next start July 10th against the Dodgers one inning pitch nine earned runs four five four ERA after that next start July 19th against the Pirates 6.2 thirds innings pitch two earned runs 438 year array. Then July 25th, his most recent start before today, six innings against the Cubs, five earned runs, ERA up to 461. And then you look at today, one two thirds innings pitch. And if I could find his ERA, see if ESPN updated it. ERA now above a 5.04. So when he started the month of July, Caleb Smith only had an ERA of 308. And since then, it has raised nearly two. Ticks has jumped all the way to five just in one month because that's how bad he's been in July. But it's okay because he's not the only one. The rest of this pitching staff wasn't good today. Matt Peacock has been pretty bad this season after a few starts to begin the year, to begin the season where he was kind of a feel-good story. He's really struggled since then. Went three and three and the third today, two earned runs. Stefan Crayon, our old friend, is back. The closer from last season. Not good yesterday. Gave up another earned run today. Hasn't been good crying. Buchter came in. He gave up three earned runs. And then we had two position players go in. Miguel Aguilar gave up an earned run. Brian Holiday, the backup catcher, gave up an earned run. Uh, it was just not good at all from the D-backs when it comes to pitching. And the Dodgers were not giving the D-backs any breaks either. They pretty much scored a run. It seemingly felt like every inning. They scored in the second inning, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth. I mean, Mookie Betts crushed one off Brian Holiday in the ninth inning just to add insult to injury. And then when you look at the Dodgers pitching staff today, Julio Urias only needed to go five innings, and he was absolutely shut out in those five innings. Four hits, seven strikeouts. Bigford came in, no earned runs. David Price came in, no earned runs. Ramirez came in, no earned runs. Everyone on the Dodgers did their job for a shutout. Everyone on the D-backs did the opposite of their of their job for pitching, for a shutout, for a win. No matter what the D-backs need to do from a pitching standpoint, they were not able to do today. 
Caleb Smith walking the tightrope early, putting so many guys on base, getting so many deep counts. I mean, he was pitching to Julio Urias and was running up the count three balls, one strike. Like, it was not good pitching by the D-backs, and the offense wasn't able to show up today either. Ketel Marte, we got to see him back today. That was pretty much the only bright spot on the day for the D-backs. Ketel Marte makes his return to the lineup, and of course, in his first at-bat of the day, Ketel Marte gets a single because it doesn't matter how long Ketel Marte has been on the injured list this season. The man keeps stepping up to the plate Every time he keeps picking up where he left off, the tear has not stopped. He's still got 367 average, 414 OBP, 547 slugging. Ketel Marte, I'm happy to see what he can do the rest of the season because now we know Eduardo Escobar. Ketel Marte is back to being the clear-cut best player on the team. I would have argued Escobar, you know, at least among position players, the best player in the lineup before, uh, before Ketel Marte, you know, went on the injured list. I mean... Of course, Ketel Marte is the best position player, but because the nature of him being on the IL pretty much the entire season, Escobar had to step up to the plate, had to be the best player, and he was for the D-backs his whole season. He made the All-Star team first-time All-Star. He was stepping up to the plate, 20-plus home runs, 60-plus RBIs, but now he's gone. Ketel Marte is back, so he's going to need to reclaim the crown as best position player on the team. I think he's going to do that. I'm excited to see a lot more Ketel Marte for the rest of the season for the second half, just because we've barely seen that all year. But D-backs end the series against the Dodgers with 13-0. Straight domination, straight blowout, straight awful game to end a series against the Dodgers. Now we'll discuss Saturday night's game, but first, you guys need to head over to BetOnline because BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing. You can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Promo code locked on. Let's get back to the pod. But let's talk about yesterday's game because yesterday's game gave me more hope and more optimism than Sunday's game because at least with Saturday night's game, we got some good pitching at the very least from their starter, Merrill Kelly, who again, don't make me go on another Merrill Kelly rant because I am pissed that no contender, I am pissed that no contender wanted Merrill Kelly. I, I like, I honestly feel disrespected for Merrill Kelly because he was such a good option on the trade market. And I don't feel like people understood his value. I get it. The D-backs are awful. No one's paying us any attention. So not a lot of people even know who Merrill Kelly is. This was a guy who was pitching overseas for the majority of his career. This is a guy who is in his third year of baseball and is, what, 33 years old? Like, you don't see, he's 32 right now. You don't see a lot of these guys on the major league level. He's a, you know, a, a case onto himself, but Right now, Merrill Kelly is a 4-3-8 year Ray, and he's been balling 
recently. He's got a quality start in three straight games right now. And uh, even better than that, or maybe three straight games. I'm not sure. I got to check the quality start stat one more time. I don't know if eight innings and four earned runs qualifies as a quality start. I have to double check that. But still, even if you don't count that as a quality start, this is his run. I'm going to give you another box score run, another game log. Starting on June 21st against the Brewers, he went seven innings, one earned run. Then the next game against the Padres, six game, uh, six innings, zero earned runs. Next game against the Giants, seven innings, three earned runs. Then against the Rockies, five and a third, two earned runs. Against the Dodgers, five and a third, one earned run. Against the Cubs, eight innings, four earned run. Against the Cubs again, six innings, two earned runs. Then against the Dodgers, six and a third, Three earned runs. So basically, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight straight starts. Merrill Kelly has been balling. This guy is way better than a John Lester, way better than J.A. Happ. And I find it, frankly, disrespectful that a team in baseball would value those two guys ahead of a Merrill Kelly. And this is not even biased. Merrill Kelly's been balling. There's nothing we've seen from John Lester or J.A. Happ the last two or three seasons that would tell you those guys are better than a Merrill Kelly last better than a Merrill Kelly right now. Okay, I was going to say last year, Merrill Kelly was a stud pitcher. As I've been saying, it was a real argument whether Merrill Kelly or Zach Allen was the best pitcher on the staff. Then he underwent surgery. So kind of Hey, it took Kelly out of our minds for a while, how good he was during the 2020 season. And it was the COVID year. So a lot of people don't really respect the COVID year as much just because it was such a weird time uh, in the season. We kind of just throw it away, all the numbers and the stats. And then you come back in 2021, Merrill Kelly was struggling a lot to start the year. Merrill Kelly, before that eight-star run, pretty much, he had a 5.4 ERA after his June 16th start. And he's taken 5.4 all the way down to 4.38. And he's just been dominant the last eight starts. Like, he's been basically a number three level pitcher. Basically, like a Anibal Sanchez level pitcher. So, it really does make me flummox as to why no contender would want to go after him. Maybe, I'm sure the D-backs were getting calls on Merrill Kelly. Maybe they really just did hate all the offers. Maybe they felt like they were giving away Merrill Kelly for free. Because, depending on how quickly the D-backs could build a you know, a wild card contender, a team that could at least compete for the postseason. Merrill Kelly could be a good pitcher on that kind of team. If he's pitching like he is over these last eight starts, if Merrill Kelly's pitching like he was last season, why couldn't Merrill Kelly be a number three starter on a playoff, you know, rotation? I don't think Merrill Kelly's the the next Clayton Kershaw, Jacob DeGrom, but if you're telling me he could be a number three starter in a, a rotation that could make a, a pretty solid postseason run, I could believe that. I've seen enough of a sample size from Merrill Kelly to tell me that he's actually a better than good pitcher. Maybe he's more of a number four starter on a really, really good rotation, but I still think he's got some number three upside. At the very least, he should be a number four in your rotation. I think he's better than a number five. I think I've seen enough from Merrill Kelly to tell me he's more valuable than a number five starter in my rotation. At the very least, I think he's a number four. And then just some other notes from yesterday's game. We at least got to see Cole Calhoun with another smash, his third home run of the season. Meatball hanging slider over the middle of the plate. Again, Cole Calhoun was another guy that team should have looked at as a potential trade candidate because why wouldn't you want a guy like Cole Calhoun? This guy was one of the league leaders in home runs last year. I think he had like 16 home runs. Just was a straight masher, a straight slugger 
for this Diamondbacks squad last season, I think could add a lot of value to another team. Uh, Jubal Cabrera, uh, he didn't really do much yesterday, 0 for 3. I got really excited for no reason because I was remembering Friday night's game where he had a walk-off. He didn't do that Saturday night. Saturday night, we had a Nick Ahmed home run as well. So the offense put up three runs off two home runs. Didn't really do anything. Merrill Kelly at least had a great start. Really uh, under, you know underlying storyline from this game Stefan crying again didn't even record it now gave up three earned runs and just the idea of what Stefan crying could have been based off last season all of that has evaporated Stefan crying doesn't look like a guy that deserves to be in a bullpen right now on a major league roster after last year I thought hey this guy's probably you know arguably the best D-backs reliever going into next season and right now I, I don't think Stefan Crying should be in the D-backs bullpen, which is the worst in baseball. So that tells you how far, how far from grace Stefan Crying has fallen this season. So not, not much to take away from this game outside Merrill Kelly continues to be great. And the D-backs offense hasn't shown up for back-to-back -back games now. They showed up on Friday. Great win on Friday night. Walk off, a little bloop single by Jubal Cabrera, but didn't come through. The offense didn't come through enough the last two games to give the D-backs a win. But at least they've been fighting. The D-backs end July with more wins. I mean, of course, uh, today is in July, but before today, they ended July with more wins this month combined than the last two months combined. So repeat, they had more wins this month than they had in May and June combined. They had 11 wins this month. I believe they went uh, 11 and 12 in the month of June. So at a 11 and 12 pace, they are going to finish better than their worst season franchise history. If they can go at that kind of winning percentage of 11 and 12, you know, just a tick under 500. If they're just going to tick under 500 the rest of the way, then they will not finish with the worst record in franchise history. I'll discuss how the MLB trade deadline shaked up the NL West contenders. But first, did you guys know Bilt Bar has so many delicious flavors? They got coconut, cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, German chocolate. There's a flavor for everyone. And the reason why I love Bilt Bar is because it's healthy. I'm a healthy conscious guy. I'm trying to work out every day, but I have a sweet tooth and Bilt Bar tricks me. I think that I'm eating a candy bar when in reality, I'm actually eating a protein bar that's low in calorie. Low in sugar, but it's high in protein and it's high in fiber, so it's great for that keto diet. Go to built.com, use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your next order. Promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your next order at built.com. All right, all right, all right, let's wrap up the pod. Now, let's discuss a little MLB trade deadline and how that how the trade deadline affects our view of the top three teams in the NOS. And we are talking Padres, Dodgers, and Giants. Which teams should we, you know, move up in our rankings, in our World Series contender rankings after the trade deadline? Or do our rankings change at all? Do we not feel any differently after the trade deadline, no pre and post? Because to me, I think I do feel a little differently. Not, I, I don't feel like dramatically differently. I don't feel like these moves were, I mean, obviously that Scherzer and Trey Turner move was a blockbuster, but I already had the Dodgers as favorites just because they were the reigning World Series champs and they had major additions during the offseason. Now, 
Trevor Bauer is not on that team anymore. He was one of those major additions, but they basically replaced Trevor Bauer with the guy who's just as good as him. And they added arguably the best shortstop in baseball to the team. So Dodgers definitely come out as big winners. Of course, the Padres weren't able to make that huge uh, splash move. Like we were discussing, maybe with Scherzer, maybe some, you know, uh, one of those big time bats on the market. But still, I still like what the Padres did. They were still able to get um, they were still able to get a Daniel Hudson, which I think was a pretty underrated move because Daniel Hudson is one of the better relievers in baseball, one of the better back end relievers in baseball. He has a career high strikeouts per nine career high strikeout rate. The dude has been balling this season. He has like a 12.3 strikeout rate per nine innings or something like that. Something crazy. Adam Frazier, of course, has been an all-star this season. Adam Frazier has been a stud. Uh, he hasn't really done much yet in the Padres uniform, but the man was batting like close to 330 before the trade. So that's something that's really going to help the Padres at the top of their lineup. Uh, Fernando Tatis is going on the injured list as well. So maybe you move him, you know, a Frazier to shortstop. Maybe you put a Jay Cronenworth at shortstop. Who knows? Maybe, you know, I, I don't know how it's going to work out. But now you at least have more options with a Frazier on your bench in your starting lineup, uh, especially with the injury to a Tatis. You're going to need Frazier as that extra insurance. And then you look at the Giants. I think I like their deadline move the most. Of course, it wasn't the biggest move because I don't think any team had a bigger move than Scherzer and Trey Turner. Maybe the Yankees come up close just because even though they added some redundancy to their lineup, I mean, still adding Rizzo and Joey Gallo, two legit all-stars to your lineup is always a big deal. But I love the Giants move because they added Chris Bryant to a lineup that needed a star player. The Giants were basically like, the Brooklyn Nets pre-KD, pre-Kyrie, or they were kind of like the uh, Clippers pre-Kawhi. Like, they were a good team, or they're kind of like the Knicks from this past season. They're like a good team with a bunch of guys playing above, you know, what they usually are in their career marks, but they're still missing that star player to bring it all together, to, to land a misfit toys playing at career levels with no true leader or superstar, and they were able to acquire that at the trade deadline with the Chris Bryant move. Chris Bryant is an absolute stud. This guy is one of the best players in baseball. This guy was an MVP not too long ago, and he has some positional versatility when it comes to defense as well. Chris Bryant can play first base. Uh, he can put him in the outfield. Chris Bryant can do a little bit of everything. Was an MVP back in 2016. He did that Dustin Pedroia, where he wins a Rookie of the Year award in his first season, and then he wins an MVP in the second season. Chris Bryant, this year before being traded, batting 267, 861 OPS. So, average is just solid. OPS is pretty good. 18 home runs, though, which is always nice. So, Chris Bryant still has got the spectacular numbers, still an all star from this season, still only 29. And that's really the reason why I love the move the best because I like this Giants lineup. They have Buster. Posey, he's back and playing like the best catcher in the game. Brandon Crawford having an all-star season, 18 bombs and 9-10 OPS, uh, absolutely killing it. Uh, you got uh, Alex Dickerson is playing just fine. I feel like he might have been moved or I'm thinking of someone else, so we won't even discuss Alex Dickerson. But I love a Mike Yastrzemski having a bit of a down season right now, but still 17 home runs for that guy. Brandon Belt's on the 
IL right now, but he's having a decent year as well. Maybe you get an Evan Longoria back soon because I think he was playing pretty well before his injury as well. Evan Longoria looked to be back to playing like an all-star level as well. So you add a Chris Bryant to the middle of the lineup. Now you, you got a pretty nice little mix of Yastrzemski, Brandon Crawford, Buster Posey, Chris Bryant. Maybe get Longoria back for the postseason. You got five legit core guys that you could build an offense around. I would have liked them to get another rotation guy. I kind of wanted them to get Max Scherzer because I felt like Kevin Gosman needed a number two. I got Kevin Gosman on my MLB fantasy team. I feel like he's been struggling a little bit recently. Recently, but still, Del Scalfani has been a better pickup than I thought. Alex Wood has been pretty solid. Logan Webb, I mean, all their offseason additions. I mean, if you look at their starting rotation year, right? Gosman, 235. Del Scalfani, 3.1. Alex Wood, 383. Johnny Cueto, 384. Logan Webb, 336. Like, you'll take that. Any team in baseball will take every starter with, with a ERA below four and their main ace or Cy Young, you know, contender with an ERA below 2.4. So I think every rotation would take that. You got Jake McGee, your closer, 2-2-8 ERA, Tyler Rogers, 1-8-4. I mean, you got like four or five guys with the ERA below three in your bullpen. So even though I don't like the name brand guys of a lot of the Giants players, position players, uh, bullpen rotation guys, they're all playing, you know, above snuff. And so you can't really complain when they're all playing above their head. So do I look at the NL West differently when I'm ranking the contenders? Probably not. I still got the Dodgers as the team to beat, but I think it's a little bit closer now between the Giants and Padres. And come the postseason, I might take the Giants over the Padres. I'll have to see it in the setting, but there's no reason for me to think the Padres are considerably, are considerably better than the San Francisco Giants. There's nothing on paper, nothing in the record that would tell you that. The stats wouldn't tell you that. The stats would tell you the Giants are just as good as any team in baseball, arguably the best team in baseball, because the Giants have 66 wins, the most teams in the most wins in baseball. They currently have a three-game lead on the Dodgers in the NL West. They have a six and a half game lead on the Padres. The Giants are currently six and a half game better than the Padres, and they just added Chris Bryant to their team, who hit a home run today. So that's all you need to know about that. So I like the Giants. I'm taking the Dodgers over anybody in the division. Then I'm going with the Giants. Then I'm going with the Padres. So Dodgers, Giants, Padres, one, two, three for me right now in the NL West. And so we got to watch out for the Giants as a potential championship series contender, maybe World Series contender. I still think they don't have the rotation to make it to the World Series. I still think they'll probably lose to the Dodgers. But hey, uh, right now, I might take a, a Brewers team over the Padres team just because of that rotation. We'll see how it shakes out, but I'm taking Dodgers number one and Giants number two in the NLS with Padre, with the Padres. I almost said some weird name with the Padres falling in at number three. That's it for this edition of the Locked On Dimebacks podcast. Remember, betting on the D-backs doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked On Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get the daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow the Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by BetOnline.ag wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. I might hit up some local Locked On MLB hosts to see if they want to be on tomorrow's pod to discuss their team's MLB trade deadline. So stay tuned for that to see if we have a special guest on uh, Tuesday's pod. 
Until then, stay safe and stay healthy. Deuces!